welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris, here as always with my co-host, the A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan, wherever you listen throughout the world. Thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to that on the reg, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed, Apple, Spotify, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Because if you do subscribe, you won't miss an episode when we drop them on Mondays. Mondays at 4 o'clock, actually. Which leads me into talking about how we are live streaming right now on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Search up A to Z Sports on all of those sources, whichever is your favorite. And uh, subscribe to A to Z Sports, and you'll get the live streams when uh, uh, when we do them here on uh, at 4 p.m. on Mondays. At Charlie underscore Burrows, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. A to Z Sports, Nashville.com, or just A to Z Sports.com, period, now, because they're, they're, uh, they're fancy over there now, covering far, far more than just Nashville at this point. All right, Zach. Let's get down to brass tacks. Pittsburgh has been defeated. Revenge is ours. The Tennessee Volunteers go down to Pittsburgh. 34-27. They hand a defeat to the Panthers. Exciting times in Knoxville. You have already two games into the season. You have improved over last year. And uh, it, it's exciting times, but uh, we, of course, it's Tennessee. Let's never forget. And so nothing comes easy here at Tennessee. Uh, never does, never will, frankly. And it was a bit of an ugly win. But that's okay, because what it was, was a win. Yeah, it was ugly. It was a win, and that's what counts. But me and Zach are going to dig in to all of it. Uh, kind of give our take on the whole thing. But, Zach, you watch it. You've written about it. Uh, what's up, man? Uh, it's just nice to be talking about a win on a on a Monday. Uh, kind of a game that Tennessee hasn't won uh, much over the past 10, 12 years where they struggle like that. And for a little while, first quarter, you know, we were texting me, you and Austin Stanley, and the co-creator, co-owner of A to Z Sports. And there was some frustration in that first quarter. Uh, so I was happy that things turned around. It was uh, gut-wrenching up until the very end, the very last play. Kind of reminded me of the Kentucky game a couple years ago under Jeremy Pruitt where they had that that uh, goal line stop there. I think it was Daniel Batuli that made the game-saving tackle. Uh, but, yeah, nice to come out on top of one of those finally. You were lying if you're a Tennessee fan, and you said that you didn't have that, that feeling during that first quarter where you went, <laughs> no. Here we go again. Classic Tennessee stuff. I mean, that was just, it was exactly what it felt like, where you got all your hopes up, they go down 10-0, and you go, dang it, come on, come on. Or you end up like the freaking Titans yesterday, and you actually look good right in the beginning, and you go, oh, this is better than I thought it was going to be. And no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Tennessee sports, baby. <laughs> it wasn't better than you thought it was going to be. But you're, I mean, frankly, you're lying if you if you say that you didn't have that feeling in that first quarter where Pitt goes up 10-0 and you're just going, oh, how did I do this to myself again? <laughs> Why? Why, God? And then Hinden Hooker turns on the burners and, and they they score three touchdowns uh, in decently quick succession and they end up going into the 
the half of the 24-17 lead, I believe. And they end up really getting in Keaton Slovis' face to the point where they injured the kid. Um, And uh, there was a lot of good in this game. I I can say that right off the top. A whole lot of good in this game. There was also some not so good in this game too. But honestly, to have a victory under your belt and things to improve on is a great a great problem to have so to speak. I mean I you know you wish you would have won by 30. They had their chances and we'll discuss that too, but just to say, hey, we got that W done and done and now we can learn from that. You got a week to learn and kind of go from there, you know. Uh before we jump into really breaking down this game, and I don't want to get too far into this because this this is all balls, but I have to know how do how do you feel this morning, waking up after this huge road win against Pittsburgh, this tough game, uh, you know, kind of the, the outcome in doubt. And then you get the opposite of that with the Titans game, like you mentioned. And I think everyone knows you're a huge Titans fan. How do you feel this morning? What, what, are, what are those emotions for this afternoon? I'm, I had resigned myself to a bad Titans season this year already because they – the front office had just gone, all right, we're getting rid of A.J. Brown. This is basically over. You know, they kind of just gone, whatever. Um, and so I'm a little more numb to that. But this would have hurt so bad if Tennessee blew this game against Pittsburgh. And I, the relief that I felt, I, <laughs> I texted you guys. I had to go to a, a birthday party for a family member right after that. Uh, like da- like downtown, like late, We were, and it was like, the whole, you know, kind of going out and having a party kind of going out. And I was just like, if Tennessee loses this game and I have to go out and act like I'm happy, I'm going to jump off the roof of my house. Like, I was just like, dear God, don't do this to me. Uh, I, I like we're, we're getting some good comments here. Uh, Courtney Goble says, I was at the game. I was like, oh, my hell, what am I doing here? In that first 10 minutes, I feel that. And I wasn't even there. I didn't spend my hard-earned money to go up there, and I was like, "Why am I even watching this, um, man?" Uh, but uh, that's that's tough. Oh, and I see uh, John Dunn is in the comments. What's up, my man? Uh, he says, "Y'all slate as always, gentlemen." Thank you, sir. Thanks to everybody who is tuning in. And if you have comments, leave them uh, leave them there on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you may be watching, and we'll we'll try to get to them. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, a giant, giant, giant relief. Um, I can I can tell you, I was on live with Crompton and, and Austin Stanley preparing for the postgame show when Tennessee finally sealed it. And I just was literally like, oh, God, just th- thank you. <laughs> just the sigh of relief that came over me uh, was was ridiculous. But so for our for the primary segment of this show, we kind of wanted to to just break down what was the best thing to take away from this game and what was the worst thing that we can take away the real the meat of what Tennessee needs to improve on here because I think it's two separate conversations that both really need to be had this team needs to be applauded huge 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 road ranked win also we cannot overlook the fact that this thing was so ugly and we're going to get into uh, the best and worst thing that happened in this game but first we got to talk about the great folks at Superbook Sports football is back and nobody is more excited and your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering 
to the palm of your hands. And now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000. No matter if that bet wins or loses, you do not have to be in Nashville or Knoxville to enjoy football this fall. Even if you're in Nashville, you're probably not going to enjoy it no matter what you do. Um, but visit, visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Tennessee app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. And if you have a gambling problem, call one 800 889 Eight nine. That is Superbook Sports. There was so much to bet on this weekend. Tennessee, it, don't let this fly under the radar. Tennessee covered in that game. They were, uh, d- depending on where you look, five and a half to six and a half point favorite going in. They covered both of those. It doesn't matter. You win by seven touchdown in overtime and a victory for the Vols. It was good stuff. So uh, congratulations there. Because so far in the Hypo tenure, it's been a little, little shaky in terms of covering... Uh, some of those sports lines, but um, go over to Superbook Sports, help them out because they're helping us out. Good folks over there. Now, let's get to it, Zach. The best thing that Tennessee did in this game, in your opinion, we'll cover that first and then we'll get to the worst and then the things that Tennessee needs to improve on. But I'll throw it to you. What is the best thing that Tennessee did in this game? And everybody who, who's watching, Feel, feel free to comment, and we'll we'll drop in on, on your thoughts, too, if you have. Well, let me touch on this real quick. If you put Jeff's comment up there about the uh, pit moving the uh, the quarter or moving the ball with the injured backup quarterback in, in the game, that, to me, I, I kind of looked at that different because in the past, Tennessee has struggled so much with backup quarterbacks. I mean, how many times have we seen backup quarterbacks come in and you, you kind of get this feeling of relief, like, okay, they're heavy hitters out. Tennessee should be able to stop this quarterback, and all of a sudden he's running all over the field. That wasn't the situation on on Saturday, and and part of that has to do with the talent of the backup. I understand that, but still, it's been such a Tennessee thing to do. So, I understand where Jeff's coming from. It is frustrating. You do want to see that tennis that that defense step up and and stop them a little better in that situation. But it's not like Pittsburgh was just moving right down the field with their backup quarterback. I mean, Tennessee still held them. Uh, they were running the ball a little more. You could tell they didn't quite trust him as much as they trust Slovis throwing the ball. So that I, I kind of get it, but I, I see the other side of that as well. Uh, for me, I thought the best thing is they, they really looked a lot better uh, in short yardage situations. I mean, I thought that was something yeah. where – and they didn't necessarily go tempo in those situations either. They were kind of able to slow it down a little bit. They were able to, to convert some of those – uh, third and short, third and one, third and two by running the ball. They weren't having to, you know, try to air it out down the field and, and kind of steal a first down. That was a point of emphasis for this team in the offseason. And it seems like they've improved in that area to me, at least based on what we saw against Pitt. And look, Pitt's got a good defensive front. It's not like they were, you know, converting these that it's just ball state or or a team like Akron coming up. Pittsburgh's a good team and they're gonna be a they're gonna be there at the end of of the year in the ACC. They're gonna be a threat to win that uh that their division again so i thought that was very very impressive and just a positive thing moving forward like you got to be able to convert those third and short situations especially you get into sec games that I mean that will lose you a game so I, I thought that was a big positive for me absolutely got uh, danny pritchard in the comments he said came back from two different 10 point deficits which is true uh and an impressive thing showing real resolve and just being Cool, calm, and collected. They didn't. They didn't get too high, too low, especially. And I think Hinden Hooker and Heupel both. Heupel from the very top. Hinden Hooker from you know a player on the field. They just bring that 
level-headed, hey, we might be down. Let's just go out there and win this football game. Even, even still, that was really impressive. And we have, look at this, Austin Stanley watching the show. Um, after having to deal with absolutely incensed Titans fans all weekend, um, <laughs> he's, he said the best thing they did was win a gross game, lowest point total in a hypo whim thus far. It's a different style than every other one. That's very true. They gutted out a defensive win, which was uh, really strange. It kind of leads into, not, not really strange, but new, um, as he kind of says there. Um, and leads me into what I think was my best thing in this game. Four sacks for Tennessee's defense in this game. Tenacious. And sacks that came from two different levels. I mean, you you had them, I believe, it was uh, uh, Byron Young, but then you had a Wesley Walker sack, a huge one on fourth down from Wesley Walker and Tr- Trayvon Flowers, a huge one in overtime that essentially sealed the game uh, and, and put Pitt in what arguably should have been fourth and 29, but they made it fourth and 21. I, you know, I don't know. Don't don't talk about Tennessee and Ford progress. It's a losing battle. Uh, but uh, that was just the thing that stuck out to me because everybody was, oh, my gosh, in that Ball State game, we couldn't get any pressure. There was no sacks. We never got to the quarterback. I, I was I was one of those people um, myself. I'm, you know, kind of mocking myself there. And Tennessee came out and they said, I took that personally. And they went out and four sacks in this game. It was impressive. They were, they were killing this kid. Slovis in the first quarter. I mean, they, uh, first half, I mean, they were just all over him in that game. And it it was uh, an impressive effort. And one that I think is going to be really important going forward, because you did see two things (laughs) potentially leads us into the worst thing we saw against Pittsburgh. But the defensive line being good, I think is going to pick up a lot of slack for the defensive backs being not so good this season. And so that's nice um, because I I think you're going to have a a tough time with some of those DBs unless you just get some help from places where you're not expecting it thus far. And so having having that front seven step up or having even the DBs step up and and get sacks and pressure the quarterback, I think can can end up being huge. Um, we do have uh, some some other comments. Ben, ben Hall said, it was in fact ugly, but I think about the name brands that wish they had an ugly win. Tennessee was left standing, and that is all that matters. Absolutely true. I, it's, it's a completely valid point because Texas A&M blowing it against Appalachian State. I mean, woof. Uh, and who, who Notre, Notre Dame blowing it against Marshall and like losing by 10 or something like geez florida came out. I, I don't know if you consider this if you're a tennessee fan you consider a loss to kentucky embarrassing um but florida has lost i think like three out of the last four against kentucky actually you know what's crazy about that is is dan mullen also lost to kentucky at home in his first season first sec mm-hmm. game in the swamp and that didn't necessarily turn out well and that he was the first florida coach since 1979 to lose to kentucky in his first season so that's Probably doesn't bode well for Billy Napier. The jury's, I mean, the jury's still out on him. It's way too early to to pass judgment on what Napier will be or not be at Florida. I have my doubts, but that was one that you kind of expect Florida to win. It, you know, they should be like Tennessee is with Kentucky. Even though Kentucky's good under Mark Stoops, they have a good scheme. That's still a game Florida should win, even with a new coach. I mean, we we say the same thing about Tennessee. So that's, I mean, I feel like that's an upset, even if 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 a lot of other people don't. It definitely is. Pure if. 
if for nothing else other than just being in the swamp, I, I mean, that's just such a tough place to win, no matter how you slice that. TJ Bird makes a nice point here. In the YouTube comments, I'm just happy we had the depth mm-hmm. to play hard for 60 minutes. We would have been out of this one had it happened last year. Absolutely. It was so clear that you still had the, the, the dudes late in that game. And even, uh, I mean, just an observation rewatching that game, the rotation on offense was extremely tight. They barely shuffled out anybody at all. I don't think that they shuffled out any of the wide receivers. I might be wrong about that, but it seemed like there was never anybody other than that starting set of guys. And then after Jalen Wright fumbled that football, he never got back in the game. I mean, it it became real tight, and they still, they outlasted. They looked strong even in that uh, that overtime period. The, I mean, the worst thing that happened in that overtime was Mincy getting that holding call, and it was weak. Even. Yeah. Uh, it was arguable for sure. And so uh, I... You're right. Those are the only three wide receivers that even caught a pass. Yeah. They really did not reach out at all. After Ball State, where they just, it was a revolving door all over the field. And then when it really mattered in, in a big game against a better opponent, they they really cinched it down. Now on defense, conversely, the defensive line was just, it was being shuffled all the way through, except they really stuck with Amari Thomas, and he made some really nice mm-hmm. plays, had a really good game. And now yeah, he probably played more snaps than we'll, we'll see in most weeks, I would think. Typically, yeah. he's not going to be in there that many snaps. But yeah, he did a really great job, I thought. Yeah, it was... Uh, so just some interesting choices in, in terms of personnel, but absolutely to that point, it, this is one that they lose last year without a doubt. You saw it. This is <laughs> this, the thing happened last year. You have certifiable proof against Pittsburgh, uh, a slightly better Pittsburgh team, I think. Um, but uh, with, with that being said, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it here, Zach. Any other things that you want to point out that were on that good side before we move into the, the inevitable, here's what we got to improve stuff. Yeah, well, I think Austin's comment there about winning an ugly game is is something really important because there's a if there's people out there that doubt Josh Heupel, and there's not many Tennessee fans, I don't think right now that that are doubting him, but other fan bases uh, to some extent, some media I feel like still does it to some extent as well. You know, they've called him gimmicky. Like he he can only win games a certain way. What are you going to do when a game doesn't unfold the way that you expect it to when your offense is going three and out like they did at the start of the pit game you know you had a couple of three and outs there that was a very frustrating start and he showed that that's not the only way that they can win games and that's got to give you some confidence really honestly you should almost be more excited about this win because of that because they won it in a different way I mean they go out and they win 48 to 21 of course that's exciting you put a lot of points on the board But to have their defense with all the question marks that this defense has faced all offseason, that's been everything we've heard is, does the defense improve? Uh, Will they be good enough, deep enough to win games like this? I mean, that's that's really encouraging that they answered that question early in the season because they will have more games like that this year. The Kentucky game could turn out to be that way. Uh, Certainly the the Florida and LSU games could turn out to be that way. So those are games that they really need to win. I mean, if you want to go win 10 games this year, you got to win at least two out of those three. And as fun as it was to see Florida lose to Kentucky in the swamp, that also makes me just that much more nervous about that Kentucky game. Because, look, I mean, they're they're a talented team, and Tennessee doesn't have the depth still. Even though it's better, they still don't have the depth that they want to have. So does that game become a roadblock later in the season? You hope not. I kind of tend to agree with you that, 
that's a win for Tennessee until it's not. But that 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 one is on my radar a little bit more after watching them beat uh, Florida. Now, not to get off on a tangent too much about that game, Anthony Richardson was kind of banged up, so he wasn't able to run quite like he did against Utah. So you know, he, he might be a different-looking quarterback when they come to Knoxville in, in two weeks. If you can get the the pressure against Richardson in a similar way to what you did against Pittsburgh, now it's going to be a completely different style play because Richardson can run. Neither of the dudes for Pittsburgh ran really at all. Um, but I mean, if you can get that kind of pressure against them, you're going to affect the way he plays. And if you can get some really good hits, it was so intentional with the way that they had these guys just finishing hits. Even if they didn't get to the quarterback for a sack, they were having them just finish through, give him a shoulder, you know, a little forearm shiver, just make sure that you're having him hear footsteps. And it was very effective. I'm sure that that's coming from Rodney Garner. Uh, on on the sidelines, you know, and it was even in some of those situations, it was a little risky. The interception, or I think it right, which, which play it was, where they got in a really good hit on the quarterback, and it looked like it could have been roughing the pass. I think it was on that interception. Uh, yeah, Be- Beasley hit Slovis on that play. Yeah, because I mean, and uh, it it kind of looked like Slovis wanted to run a little bit because he started running to the right side of the field, and Beasley was on the opposite hash. When across the field, I mean, he kind of recognized early that Slovis was rolling out. So he runs from the opposite hash to make that play. He hits him just as he's letting go of the ball. Definitely had to affect the throw. It's a little bit high. Kamal Haddon looked like he kind of got a hand on it there, and then Trayvon Flowers is able to secure that, get the feet down in the back of the end zone. Pittsburgh could have went up 17 to nothing there, maybe, or, or 13 to nothing, you know, however they score points there. And that's a game-changing play. I mean, that changed yeah. the momentum. It prevented Tennessee from going down three scores. I mean, that could have been disastrous all the way around. And it was a total team effort to make that play happen between Beasley, Haddon, and the defensive line kind of generating that pressure to begin with to, to flush him out of the pocket. And then Flowers making a really impressive catch and getting his feet down when really he wasn't in position to make that play. I mean, he was just reacting. So to react in that moment, it just kind of shows you the work they put in. Uh, and that's that's another play that I don't know if it's made in previous years. And I mean, just speaking of Beasley, there, d- dude has looked really good. He dude has. And he's gonna be games. key. He's yeah. gonna be key in the Florida game because if, if if Richardson's healthy, you're gonna have to spy him to some extent. And uh, Pat Narduzzi claimed that Jeremy Banks was spying Pittsburgh's quarterbacks, which I don't know how true that necessarily was because, like you said, they didn't really run a whole lot. Backup quarterback was was not a threat to run really, so I don't know if Banks was really spying him. If Narduzzi thought maybe he saw something else, but they definitely will need to to game plan for that against Florida, and I think Beasley could be key to that. I don't I don't know if that's how they maybe they use Banks. I don't know which one they use. I would I would think Beasley, partially because he's done a really good job of hitting the quarterback. And not drawing a penalty. Like he, he's done really yep. well about not hitting them late. He's pulled up a couple of times when it could have been uh, a close call. And Jeremy Banks has played much better, much more disciplined. I mean, you can really tell the way he's been coached. Another encouraging sign for the staff that it, mm-hmm. you're not seeing the same mistakes over and over and over like he did during the Pruitt years, specifically with Banks. And you've really seen Banks evolve from last year. You're getting all these personal fouls and, and unnecessary roughness and he's dialed it down while still playing aggressive but i don't know if you want to risk that with uh 
with Richardson there. But it, on the flip side, he's not that great in coverage. So you kind of got to pick your poison there, I guess. Yeah, but Banks has finally grown up. So it seems, you know, I don't want to speak too soon, but it really seems like he's kind of gotten that under control in large part, at least. Um, and it's great to see. Now, you you don't know. I I don't think even even if this kid does come back, Beasley has supplanted himself as the starter. But Juwan Mitchell out again in this game for some reason, um, battling in injury or whatever. I mean, that's the prevailing narrative is it's some sort of just nagging injury. Um, supposedly going to be back soon. I, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, well, even <laughs> he's if he's not a phantom it, at this point, but yeah. And even if he doesn't step back into a starting role, like, like you said, he, he shouldn't Beasley has certainly earned that. He's a, he's a yeah. different player than, than what he was a year ago. You still want that depth. And Mitchell has yeah. experience. He he was their leading tackler at Texas. It's not like he's some fringe guy that you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, we don't know what we're going to what what Tennessee's going to get as far as him playing for the Vols, but he does have a body of work that you can look at and said, okay, this guy's been productive in some big games. So, you know, we'll see. I I don't know about that. It was a AJ. What is that? Two game suspension. I don't know. Is that? What you want? What's he referring to? Tony Basilio said it was AJ unannounced two game suspension with and un- oh and unannounced oh two games and unannounced. Okay, I see that. There's the correction right there. There, there has <laughs> reading helps, I guess, if I could look at the next comment. But uh, ah, all right, all right. I know those rumors have have been going around there, but Mitchell has battled some injuries during his time at Tennessee. So I, you know, that's what they, kept him out last year. They've been so. pretty vague about everything going on there. So we'll see if he plays against Akron, how he looks, and maybe we'll get a little more clarity on that situation after. What, Whatever it may be, this would be a great time to bring him back because you'd get to work him in just in that Akron game, kind of just build him into the lineup there. And then you have him against Florida when you need guys more, more likely than not, especially if you're going to face a running quarterback and that linebacker is going to be incredibly important uh, in terms of keeping that, that uh, quarterback contained. Um, so hopefully Mitchell can can come in and bring that a guy. I mean, with the defensive backs, like where's Brandon Turnage? Like not on the depth chart. What's the deal there? But I've heard, you know, just the analysis that I've listened to, he's still discussed as a guy who could play. I but what's the deal? I don't know. Has Basilio said that, Ben Hall? <laughs> if you know, <laughs> what's the deal with him too? Because um, I I can only listen to so many things, read so many things, and talk to so many people. But that's one that I I haven't figured out yet. But um, all right. So there's our best stuff. That happened. A lot of good happened. You won this mm-hmm. football game. Well done all the way around. You're now the number 15 in America in the AP poll. Uh, and you have to be so happy about that. I'm absolutely ecstatic. Was relief, you know, beyond my wildest dreams when Tennessee pulled this thing out. Now let's do talk about Florida on the horizon in two weeks. What is the worst thing that we saw in this game? And how can it be corrected going forward i'll i'll throw it to you zach and everybody in the comments if you have your answer feel free to to chime in and my first instinct is to kind of go to the slants right i mean that's that's something that tennessee has struggled with dating back to last year and you saw pittsburgh converting some some third down situations on these slant passes to the middle of the field and i don't know i I, you know tennessee's put in work to try to defend it and it's better than it was but then you also wonder what happens when you get in the sec play is that going to be a big thing that that hurts Tennessee Uh, we'll see but 
I thought special teams, there were some special teams miscues that were really somewhat concerning because I think, I think they had some special team stuff last year that we talked about and we kind of questioned what Mike Eckler is necessarily doing with that group. The, the punt, Trayvon Flowers muffing the punt, trying to field it above his head. That's just something that can't happen. You can't put a guy back there that either hasn't been consistent. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how Flowers has been in practice with with that. But but you have to want like that's just not fundamentally sound for Flowers being a former baseball player. I mean, baseball is really his first sport. You'd think he'd be excellent back there, being able to track a ball like that. It's kind of like playing center field, right? And you you know you're not going to reach back over your head to to catch a a ball like that. So. That was concerning. Uh, Flowers also made some great plays, though, so I don't want to harp on him too much. Then you got the block punt, though. To me, that that was the Ugh. bigger deal. And Josh Heupel mentioned a little bit about that today where he said it was, you know, coaches and players have to be on the same page. I, mean, I don't know exactly who he's throwing shade at there, if he's throwing shade at anybody. I'm sure they'll take care of that in meetings. But something else that can't happen in that situation. I mean, you're kind of in a, a safe mode there trying to, trying to block their guys, and they just totally whiffed. I mean, that – they're lucky it wasn't returned for a touchdown. Pittsburgh's own player kind of knocked the the guy that blocked it and recovered it out of bounds. Otherwise, that's six points on the board for Pittsburgh. That's you can't make those mistakes when you get in the SEC play and expect to win. Um, that's a, a big mistake that they made that they were able to kind of get away with. Hopefully, they learn from it so it's not disastrous moving forward against Florida or, or LSU in one of those games. My answer was gonna be special teams. I don't know if it's just Mike Eckler spending more time on the outside linebackers than he is on special teams, but hello, somebody. This was a, a huge problem last year. Special teams was not good. I like the guy. He's a hype man. Eckler, yeah. you know, super rah-rah guy, exciting dude, fun guy in an interview. And him great. and Jeremy Pruitt almost fought each other, so there you got that too. Going. Excellent. <laughs> Love him. Work on it, bud. What yeah. are you doing? <laughs> the special teams are not good. Like this is an ongoing thing. I I don't know, and I'm I'm certain that this is getting addressed behind the scenes. But just like, come on, what are we doing? Does D Williams need to come back? Another one? What's the deal there? Um, uh, and because he he was going to be, he was listed, I believe, on that depth chart as the starting kick returner. Am I am I making that up? But I know he was somebody that they they wanted back in that position. Um, and so, uh, you know, maybe it just needs to be a different guy. And Flowers just isn't able to handle it. He's been yeah, I don't know if otherwise. That, but I don't know if that one play should define him. But it, it, what bothered me about it was just the way he tried to catch it. It's not like he just muffed it. Like he took his eye off of it at the last minute. His entire approach to fielding that punt was the exact opposite of, of how you should field that punt in that situation. It wasn't a difficult play to make at all. So his, his technique was totally off. I, again, it's one time I, I don't want that can't define him, but it also can't happen moving forward. So, you know, hopefully that gets fixed. It'll be interesting to see if they do try somebody else out back there against Akron, somebody different. I, I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> I put it that way. Uh, but so just uh, all the way around, fix the special teams. I think you also look at, and I don't even know exactly how to frame this, but just the offensive flow. What was the deal? Especially in that second half, it was just so stilted and off and just, 
not working. And and overall, Hooker had a great game. 325, 65% completion percentage, I think, two touchdowns. I mean, the guy did it in spurts. Um, I think the it biggest works, thing it works, but the biggest thing is they they really weren't able to get any into any rhythm running the ball, which is a bit yeah. surprising. I know Pitts. I know Heupel talked about Pittsburgh having a good run defense all week, and, and several of the players did as well. But that didn't really add up to what we saw them do against West Virginia, where West Virginia had what almost two hundred rushing yards, I believe, against Pittsburgh. Tennessee had ninety-one. And 27 of those were from Hendon Hooker. And that, you know, there was a couple of design runs, but most of those are just him, you know, off-schedule plays where he's kind of making something happen. I mean, Jabari Small, 1.7 yards a carry. He had two touchdowns, but he just wasn't able to find any running room, which that is encouraging that he, he was able to get in there at the goal line. But uh, Jalen Wright showed promise. He did average five yards a carry. But like you mentioned, the fumble could have been happen. a forward progress call. But again, that, that shouldn't happen at all either. But I think that's the answer to the to the offensive question and why they couldn't find a, a good rhythm is they just weren't able to run the ball. And Heupel says it a lot. It sounds like coach speech, but it's true. Their offense is all predicated on running the ball and that working because then it, you know, the defense, it, it really puts them in conflict with what they're supposed to defend. So that, to me, was the biggest issue. Is it an offensive line issue? Is it a running back issue? Is it is it something else that we're not seeing as far as not playing complementary football? I don't know, but it's something that they need to fix moving forward, figure out what's going on there. G. White 713 says, early season jitters on offense. Won't be an issue next week or against Florida. If you can't throw on Tennessee as a QB, you don't beat Tennessee, period. And I, that's a good point because uh, – Anthony Richardson is not exactly the best passer on planet Earth. Uh, he definitely that got badly exposed against Kentucky. He has zero passing touchdowns in two games so far. So yeah, he's not a massive threat with his arm, but you know he, you got to stay honest with that guy too because all it takes is one open receiver and him to connect on one pass to change a game. Yep. So, uh, but as far as as the offense goes i do also agree you're still you're ironing it out now i was definitely hoping coming into the season it would already be ironed out because hooker you know he's now going on season number two as the head guy um and maybe it is just you you have this new set of players with a, a brew mccoy and a and a walker merrill and these guys that weren't predominantly in the offense um last season kind of getting in on the action uh, and I, <laughs> I have to point out this comment. Thank you. It's Michael Westerberry because screw Todd Downing. He says Anthony Richardson is about as accurate as Todd Downing is on third down play calling. <laughs> Fire Todd Downing, please. Titans. Also, that's a hilarious comment. So thank you, Michael Westerberry. Um, but uh, yeah, ho hopefully they, they do get it ironed out. I, I was saying this to Crompton during the post game show. And, and if you want to watch that, it, the the show and clips from the show are already up on the A to Z Sports YouTube channel. We we do halftime post game. Me and Jonathan Crompton, former Vols quarterback, um, and uh, you know I he was kind of saying as far as the the upcoming games go, you have the advantage of being at home. This was uh, Pittsburgh ended up being more hostile. Then I figured <laughs> I definitely did not give them enough credit. The stadium was far from full. 
there were a ton of Tennessee fans there, but also it was just it was louder and more ex- excitable than I thought Pittsburgh yeah, would Pitt- be. Credit Pittsburgh to them. Good, they have good fans. Uh, they do. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to have Nealon on your side against Florida. Mm-hmm. And and just you you look at last year, Hooker played, I don't want to say just crazily significantly better at home because he had a huge game at Kentucky. He had a huge game at Missouri. You know, he, he played well on the road. If you even consider Missouri an away game, I mean, they barely have fans that show up anymore and they got destroyed by Kansas state over the weekend. But, um, you, you know, it, it, he, he can play well on the road, but in terms of just playing clean football, not having that hostile crowd breathing down your back and, and those factors like that and having another tune-up game before that Florida game is huge. I, I think those factors weigh in a lot because the, the thing is this, a clean game from Tennessee, even just a, a 75% clean game, because Tennessee played, I don't even, played like a, a C, C, maybe B minus kind well, of a look, game here. Jacob Warren said it, tight end, Tennessee tight end, Jacob Warren said it as, as well as anybody can put it, uh, if you don't want to necessarily say it and, and throw them out like this, but he told appeared with Dave Hooker on his podcast or stream, whatever it is that Tennessee played as bad as they possibly could have. And they looked Mm. at the scoreboard and they were down by 10 points. And they said, you know, we're, this isn't us. And those are his words. This is not our game. This is not how we play. This isn't us. We're going to figure it out and we're going to win. And they did. And it kind of goes back to what some of the comments they've talked about. uh, Like Danny mentioned, this team learned how to win tough games. That, that was a huge step in their development. But yeah, they did. They played as bad as they possibly could have in that first, I don't know what, 10 minutes of the game, uh, maybe. I mean, that you couldn't have done worse. I mean, the defense looked out of sorts. It was kind of funny. I, rem- I was texting you in Austin and complaining about the defense. And then that ended up being kind of what won Tennessee the game. So the fact that they started shaky, corrected it. I don't know if it was the adjustments that they made or they just kind of got the nerves out because it's their first road game of the year. I don't know what the deal was, but they fixed it. And really, that's yep. all that matters. They figured out a way to fix it, and they got better. Uh, and that's just something we haven't seen Tennessee do much over the last 10 years is fix issues during the course of a game. Like, that's huge to me. They they came up to two different points in this game where in the past it would have been complete self-destruction. It would have been the Titans yesterday. <laughs> they they came up to that at down 10-0. And, uh, and you know, you're on the tipping point of having this thing get out of hand. They didn't let it. And then you come later in the game and it, it gets to the point where it would have been total self-destruction in that overtime. They didn't let it. They win the game in overtime. Like there's multiple times here where they corrected over uh, what we've seen in the past and it's massive. And so now you have two weeks to get it right. Start playing clean football because, yeah, I mean, you play a, a 75% clean game against Pitt. You win that thing by three touchdowns. It's a 21-point mm-hmm. win. It was so oh, no. close to being a blowout there in that second half. And and at, I think at worst, without just singularly, without the muffed punt, and you just go down, a uh, field goal would have been a 10-point win, and a touchdown would have been a 14-point win if you, on that ensuing drive, you score. So, you know, you take away that one singular element and correct that and you're better. And so I, and I'm certain that they're going to be working on fielding punts this coming week and improving the the special teams because it was a glaring, glaring weakness as we've it's already talked that, about. But it's funny that you mentioned how it could have been like a 10, 17 point lead, uh, win 
I, I don't know if you saw the Pat Narduzzi press conference after. And I like Narduzzi. I think I he's a good I think he's a good coach. I watched a lot of his pressers this week to kind of get ready for this game, just to kind of see the vibe and how he talked about Tennessee. And he never threw any shade at Tennessee. I mean, he was very complimentary of Hendon Hooker, Josh Heupel, the entire staff. Uh, so it was nothing contentious like that. But after the game, he mentioned the missed field goal or Pittsburgh missed the one field goal. And he kind of insinuated if they had made that field goal, the game would have never went to overtime. So it was kind of funny the way that he phrased that because I didn't feel that way at all. I felt like t- Pittsburgh was so lucky in that game, something we haven't really talked about. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. Just tip passes going right oh. in their hands early in the game. Tennessee literally blocked a field goal, and it went in still. Like, I don't I don't even know how that happens. I mean, I'm sure it's happened a few times here and there, but the fact that they got a hand on it and it goes in. I mean, what at that point you're thinking, how is Tennessee going to win this game? Like, nothing's going their way. Everything's going Pitt's way. So for Narduzzi to say that and kind of completely ignore how they got so many breaks to keep them in that game was made me laugh just a little. But, you know, he's got to kind of play to his his fans and that, and that fan base. I understand that. Well, I mean, I even see just uh, in GY713 is bringing it up here. He said he also said the Bruin yeah. McCoy wasn't pushed out of bounds. Oh, but he was. And he came in legally scored. I think you could tell even during the game, Narduzzi didn't believe the challenge that he was doing there. Like he I think he knew he was making a point almost to just be like in the ref's ear more than he was like, yeah, they definitely he was out of bounds and came back and bounced. It was so obvious. I mean, if you just watch for two seconds and you you know some about the rules of football, you were like, no, he got pushed out of bounds and he came back in and it's a touchdown. This is dumb. What are we doing? As as we were all tweeting <laughs> during that point and all saying to each other. Um, but he was just, you know, he's being cheeky. He's just being that, trying to get in the ref's ear, be that guy. And so... You, you got to play to your fan base to some extent. Yeah. Especially in, in, you know, in that situation. I get it. I don't, I don't I'm not, I'm not thinking that Narduzzi's trying to throw shade at Tennessee or, or anything like that at all. It, I just thought it was humorous, the fact that he thought that, a field goal would have won them that game. I mean, that would have kind of changed the way Tennessee played. And again, yeah. if the ball doesn't bounce their way so many times, perhaps it, it is a blowout. I mean, that it really was uh, at, at multiple points in that game, Tennessee could have blown that thing wide open, just like they did against South Carolina last year, like they did against Missouri. They were on that edge. They just didn't make those plays. Cause I, and, and this is, this is one of the, I, I don't want to frame this as one of the worst things that happened in this game. Cause I, I'm almost certain this will get corrected just based off what he did last year. But the drops by Cedric Tillman, you correct what two of those would have been touchdowns, mm-hmm. um, if I'm thinking correctly. Um, so that right there, blowout win. If though both of those turn into touchdowns, that's a 21 point win. Yeah. So, you know, and the, and the one continuous, the one pass was, you know, some people thought he was interfered with. I didn't necessarily think it was pass interference, but I'm for letting them bang a little bit there and against each other and kind of, you know, there should be some – you should be able to allow to play defense if you're a defensive back. They've, they've kind of taken the game out of their hands to some extent. But the one in the end zone, he's twisting his body. He's got a defender right on his hip. I mean, that is a tough play to make. It hit him right in the hands, but with everything going on, it was a difficult catch to come down with, and that's that, that catch isn't always going to be made. I mean, Tillman has showed us enough to know that, that he should be trusted. Hendon Hooker trusts him. Majority of the time, he's going to make that play. That was just unfortunate that that, that one didn't go his way or Tennessee's way. Yeah. So I, I, one, one thing with the wide receivers, too, that I felt like 
we've we've talked about the interception in early in the first quarter or first half when Trayvon Flowers made the interception in the back of the end zone. Really underrated play in that game that changed the momentum. And I wrote about this this week. There was two other plays in this game, and one of them was Brew McCoy on a third and I believe it was third and nine where he's mm. he's hit behind the line. Massive. I mean, he looks like Jawan Jennings out there. You got two or three pit guys right there ready to tackle him, and he somehow gets past them. Great footwork and physicality to get that first down, which was massive. Tennessee had a four-point lead at that time. If they have to punt, you know, who knows what happens in that situation. They end up getting a field goal. They didn't score the touchdown, but you you push your lead out to seven, which helped preserve, you know, the game basically. It forced it into overtime after Pittsburgh scored. That was a really underrated play. And then the field goal by Chase McGrath. I mean, hitting a 51-yard oh field goal there. I, I believe that. I guess that was that drive. Um, huge. I mean, in that stadium, too, uh, whatever it's named now, Akershire Field or something, it used to be Heinz Field. That's a really tough stadium to hit field goals in. The longest field goal ever hit there is 56 yards by an NFL player. I mean, for for years, Pat McAfee, uh, that, that's now on College Game Day, uh, does some other things. He was a kicker at West Virginia. He had a 51-yard field goal he hit there in college. For a long time, that was the record for that stadium. So Chase McGrath, I mean, he's putting himself right there with some of the best kickers to to play college football or pro football. Uh, that, that was massive. And the fact that Heupel trusted him in that situation, Chase McGrath talked about it today. That gives him a lot of confidence, just knowing that the coaches believe in him. They're not going to yank him out of there and not give him a chance if he misses a field goal, which inevitably will happen because, you know, making a field goal is really difficult. Anybody that watched the NFL yesterday probably knows that. But I thought that was a, a very underrated play that didn't get talked about enough. Do you – I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Uh, it was so massive. Uh, to finish off that conversation about the, the worst thing that Tennessee – did and how it can kind of be improved upon. Does it concern you at all that realistically speaking through two games, Hinden Hooker does not look really any better than he did last year? I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it didn't. Um, it's not that he doesn't look better. He actually, I don't want to say slightly worse because I think he's making good reads. I think he's going to the right place on the field it's his accuracy that's been a little bit off. We've seen some high throws from him that we didn't necessarily see last year. Now, Josh Heupel has talked about, and Joey Hosley, the quarterback's coach, they've talked about some mechanical things that Hooker's going through. Uh, they said he was, I think he was getting a little too wide with his base and some other things that have led to those high throws. So the fact that they've recognized whatever the issue is and it wasn't something that he really battled last year. I mean, he was so accurate last year. His completion percentage was what, like 70% or something absurd or pretty high up there. I don't think that's who he is. So, yeah, it's like, okay, it's happened two games in a row here. But at the same time, we've seen the better version of Hendon Hooker. So maybe there's just something going on there. That's really difficult. That's something that's really difficult to fix in game. Like mechanical issues are not something you want to fix on a Saturday at halftime when you're in a dogfight of a game. That's something you fix during the week so that when you're playing the game, you're just reacting. You're not thinking. You don't need Hendon Hooker out there thinking mechanics when he's on the field. You want him just playing his game. So yep. maybe that's just going to take more reps, uh, more practice reps. I think I think it's something that will get better. 
Uh, but yeah, we, we definitely need to see that get better. Just get it, get it together by the Florida game. That's my only big requirement. <laughs> yeah. Dwight says this is a well, uh, well adjusted halftime coaching job that addressed first half issues, a learning game. Hooker had a slow start last year, but he's made better mental decision, high throws or not. It's fair, fair point that you did. You did only score three points in that second half, but the defense was stone cold for most of it. Um, unfortunate, the, you know, at the end of the regulation time, giving up that touchdown, but really, it, you know, it, it wasn't like Pittsburgh went the entire length of the field and, and came down. They had a short field and uh, it worked so badly against your defense, but regardless uh, just get it cleaned up. That's that's kind of the bottom line out of all of this. You got a tune-up game here. Akron was horrendous last year. They look horrendous now. I think Michigan State beat them like 52-0 to zero over the weekend. Should be a total blowout. They went to overtime with a like an NAIA school <laughs> a couple Francis weeks ago. Something, yeah. yeah. So this, this should be a beatdown. Um, it, it will be, but it's also a very important game because of something Josh Heupel mentioned earlier today Akron's uh, Akron's quarterback he runs he's a running quarterback watch out didn't have a I don't think it's anything to worry about but I think it's going to help prepare Tennessee for Anthony Richardson in two weeks yeah and that's massive because it's really hard to practice against a running quarterback because a lot of what they do is not necessarily designed runs I mean those can get you obviously and they and they they probably will they'll hit on a few of those but it's those off schedule plays where your secondary is doing a really good job. They've got great coverage down the field. The pockets collapse, and all of a sudden, your your quarterback's got twenty yards of green grass in front of him, and he's all he's got to do is beat a defender or a linebacker one on one, you know, make him miss, and you've got a really frustrating twenty twenty five yard pickup by a quarterback that just kind of breaks the spirit of the defense. Hard to practice against that. Akron, they're going to be able to get some reps in with, with some of those types of runs. Nothing that I think is going to give Tennessee any major issues because they're going to be so much better and so much more talented. But it will really give them some important practice reps, I think, basically. I mean, I, you don't want to call the game practice, but it kind of is. And it's the perfect it it's the perfect tune-up game for Florida. I mean, to face a mobile quarterback right before you go face a team that that's going to be their biggest threat, I mean, that's huge, massive for Tennessee, I think. I don't think we can understate how important that is. And let's just talk about it in general. The stars are aligning for this Florida game, boy. It It's almost eerie. So, I mean, it's on the same date as the last time you beat Florida. Supposedly going to be wearing the smoky gray uniforms. Gonna, at least I've seen the effort on Twitter to do the checkering of Nealon thing. Mm, yeah. Uh, which was also the last game. Uh, Tennessee will be ranked ahead of Florida in the standings, um, barring they don't lose to freaking Akron, which I highly doubt will happen. Um, that was the 2016 Tennessee ranked ahead of Florida. Florida was using a backup quarterback in that game. Uh, what was the kid's name? Um, Appleby. If am oh, I was am it? I making that up? That sounds right. Uh, Maybe you just have Applebee's on the mind. I know you're I Maybe. You like to do some fine dining. So that just, <laughs> yeah. uh, Sorry. that is my favorite fine dining establishment. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so it just eerily similar. Now you won't be facing 
ostensibly you won't be facing a backup quarterback unless something happens to Anthony Richardson. Um, but it, it feels like 2016. Let's just put it that way. You, you're coming off a big non-con win. Coming on in 2016, you beat Virginia Tech in the Battle of Bristol. And and in, in a game, <laughs> just to be as, as weird as possible with this, that Virginia Tech game, you go down, I believe, 14 to 0. Mm-hmm. In that one, they play very sloppy early. I that's weird, man. So much similar. Um, oh, TJ Bird said it was Appleby. I'm almost certain. Uh, it's it's crazy. So we'll see. But oh, and it was 3 30 on CBS, 3 30 on CBS. Now it it was Austin Appleby. So Austin Appleby, I knew it. Oh, yeah, Antonio Callaway in that game. That was that that guy was annoying. Let's just not repeat from that game. Uh didn't did we go? They were down, down like 21, 21 to zero. Yeah, that was I, yeah. Let's not do that again, please. <laughs> let's let's actually get out to a big lead and then just keep that lead. That'd be nice. Florida, um, by the way, has South Florida this week. So that uh should be a pretty Easy win for them. They got blown out by BYU in their season opener, and then they beat Howard forty-two to twenty last week. Which Howard is Howard, um, and uh, South Florida's defensive coordinator is Bob Shoop. So Florida should oh. have no issues there. Shoopy, that's uh, fascinating. Actually, that's sad for him that he's kind of fallen that far, but. Butch Jones literally ruined that guy's career. He yep. was such a had such a good reputation uh, before he left. What was it? Was he at Penn State? Is that where he yep. was at before? Yeah. So he had a he had a great reputation, and then you know I just assume like what happened with every other coach that that Butch Jones had and Jeremy Pruitt um, that Butch just tried to meddle too much, tried to tell him what to do, didn't really let him coach the defense the way that Hypo lets Tim Banks coach the defense. I mean, you, you, I, I guess we would call Butch Jones an offensive guy. That's where his history was. But you got to let your defensive coach. Yeah, you got to let your defense coordinator <laughs> kind of be like the head coach of the defense if you're a if you're an offensive-minded head coach. So, yeah, I hate that that's, for uh, Bob Shoup. And, the, the, and I, I really enjoyed Bob Shoup, too. Because yeah, he was a great interview, a fantastic yeah, I, interview. I, I always like talking to him. He he was a, a good, you know, generally speaking, a lot of those guys can be just like nar- narcissistic pricks. He most of the time, I I didn't really get that vibe off him. And like the way TJ that totally changed TJ's uh, opinion of the South Florida and Florida game, <laughs> knowing that Bob Shoup is uh is the defensive coordinator. Yeah, because he said the the other thing is we have a pretty easy team to look over, but Florida has to play USF, who isn't nearly as bad as Akron, so they may get upset. And look ahead, and then he said, "Oh, Shoop is DC. Never mind." <laughs> now, I mean, look, we don't know don't a lot think about. Shoop was a bad DC, but we don't know a lot about Florida. I mean, they beat Utah. How good Utah? I mean, I think I think they they're probably pretty decent, but I don't think they're the playoff contender that many made them out to be. You lose to Kentucky. Who is this Florida team? We really don't know yeah. yet. Uh, so maybe we learn a little bit from this South Florida game. Maybe they just win thirty to fourteen or twenty. Four to fourteen or something. Maybe it's a close game. Uh, you know, I, I think I mean, we'll I've, know a little more about them after this week. I've had my qualms with uh, Josh Heupel and his late game and late half management. Um, Napier too, man. The end of that Kentucky game, 
just and and even the the end of uh the end of the Utah game too doesn't seem like that's really his uh his strength so uh that could end up being a factor you get a close game with a guy in his you know his fourth game in the SEC and Heupel just has more experience can handle it better I guess we'll see but well, um, Hypo Hypo had experience in the SEC before coming to Tennessee from when true. he was in Missouri, and Napier has that too. So you got to think you would he would understand these situations a little better than he does. Maybe he's not the head coach Florida thinks he is. I don't you know. Again, we we've still got a lot to learn about him. We said we said preseason there was signs of Butch Jonesdom from Napier. He's a, he's real cheesy mm-hmm. and just like. I, I don't know. Hopefully he's not as bad of an actual person as Butch Jones is. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll, oh, dude, let's talk about this. College game day, dude. With the, the Saban water boy segment. Did you watch this? No, I missed that. Okay. What was, what was this? Oh. So they do this segment on college game day this weekend about the, the Nick Saban, rehab center for damaged coaches mm-hmm. um and you know they're genuine success stories as far as that goes um you wouldn't consider kirby one although he did get mentioned in that he came up in the Saban tree um but the real rehab one sarkeesian who almost beat Saban this weekend in a very weird game yeah. um you know some some of those bill other o'brien uh bill o'brien uh it's lane kiffin Butch Jones should be on that list as well. but And so, Butch Jones is in this segment. Oh, oh okay, okay. He's in this. They interviewed him. Oh. For this segment. And this guy goes on here. And, you know, he t- he gives, like, this the standard response of just, like, I owe Nick Saban, blah, 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 blah. And he absolutely does. He owes Nick Saban the fact that he has a job right now. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. They're, they're the only reason or Saban is the only reason that he has that job at Arkansas state, but he goes, um, Gene Wojciechowski is doing the interview and he's like, how much money did you make in your last year at Tennessee? And Butch is like $4 million. And he goes, do you know what your salary was at Alabama that first year when you were a quality control assistant, effectively a water boy. Uh, and he's like $30,000 and they go, they, ha ha ha. Oh, $30,000. Look at these guys. They're going from this high peak down to this low. They're getting humbled. You know what they never mentioned? Is why? <laughs> yeah. The fact that the guy sucked. And then also, I mean, they did kind of mention that. They they mentioned just getting fired. And they they kind of got a quote from him about getting fired from Tennessee that it was like a real low point, blah, 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 which, you know, sure. But yeah, but it like, was. Everybody in the state hated him. So yeah, it was it was a low sure point was. for me too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it too because my team sucked because of you. Um, but they never mentioned that he's drawing a giant paycheck from Tennessee that entire time, a giant buyout paycheck. Oh, 30, he made thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> no, he wasn't making thirty thousand dollars, dude. He was making like a hundred and twenty grand a month off of Tennessee. Yeah, you and the moment up about it, the moment that the buyout was done, that next season is when he went to Arkansas State. I mean, he passed up. Well, I think there was at one point he was going to be the offensive coordinator at at Maryland when Mike Loxley uh, left oh, Alabama yeah. to go there. I mean, that was like a done deal, and it was like I think Butch was like, you know, no, I, I want to keep getting this money from Tennessee because it would have. 
he basically would have been working for free because his his buyout would have been mitigated by whatever he made at Maryland. So, I mean, on one hand, I get it. Why are you doing your work for free? Because that's basically what you're doing at that point. Um, but then that, don't you have some pride like making, no, you know, no pennies pride, no compared shame. to what the other coaches at Alabama are making. Uh, and you just want to sit there and be the assistant to the head coach to, to do that. I mean, that is, yeah, that is shameless. That is the definition of shameless. I did like, they, they did have a segment where they read off what everybody, you know, and it was like Bill O'Brien became the offensive coordinator. Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator. And they were like, Butch Jones was the quality control assistant and eventually the assistant to the head coach, which we all know is just Butch stood there with a pad of paper and went, yes, Mr. Saban, what do you, what do you need? Black coffee or do you want sugar? Do you, which sweater do you want for your press conference? (laughs) So, uh, made me ill, made me absolutely ill. I, uh, this is an interesting comment. Victor Lockwood, he says, Charlie, you're a younger version of me as a fan, Victor. Um, Thank you for watching. Uh, I assume that means that you are extremely jaded and cynical and angry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, but I, I also, I really enjoy the good times too, though. I I like to, when things are going well, like right now, I really like to revel in it too. But when, when it's going bad, I I, I turn sour. Have you ever seen the movie Vanilla Ska with, with Tom Cruise and uh, I can't remember who else. I know of it, it, but I don't think I've seen it. And I always think about that movie. There's a line where uh, the guy, Jason Lee, I think is the guy played Earl on My Name is Earl, the the sitcom that was on NBC quite a number of years ago. And he says the the sweet isn't as sweet without the bitter. And my fandom when it comes to the, the New York Mets, Tennessee, I'm a Charlotte Hornets basketball fan. I mean, the list Ooh. goes on. There's a lot of bitter. So I'm... It's going to be pretty sweet when it all does pay off, if it ever does pay off again. But it really is true. When you go through these tough moments, these rough years, these just hopeless years, and then things turn around, like there's just, just a feeling of euphoria. Like there's nothing better. Like the moment that uh, that pass was incomplete, you know, that's obviously that, that that's not Tennessee's goal to beat Pittsburgh. I mean, you want to beat Pittsburgh, but they have their sights set higher i mean they they want to beat florida they want to beat lsu they want to beat georgia and alabama i mean this team's not conceding anything uh but still that's a game that they've lost so many times and because they've lost that game so many times that 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 win just felt that much better it was that much more emotional it wasn't like you know alabama goes and beats pittsburgh it's like tennessee beating ball state it's what they expect to do so you you know you gotta you gotta embrace the the rough times that way the good times are that much better Exactly. How do you know joy if you don't know the feeling of pain? There you go. It's pre- pretty profound, but I uh, I like this take TJ. He says, and we can close on this too, the weird Bama-Texas game. TJ said, yeah. Bama-Texas gave me much more optimism for when we play Bama. They looked almost lost at points of the game. And then G. White, he says, true. Uh, Bama still has rushing issues. First half, 5.2 per carry. Second half, 2.9 per carry. If it's a team we can more than compete with at this point, O'Brien isn't Sark. Um, I mean, I agree, uh, but at the same time, like it's Alabama and Nick Saban. Like, do you exactly. think they're still going to have the same issues in October that they had in September? I, I mean, I don't, I don't think that they're going to suddenly. I mean, maybe they could. I don't know, but they don't have that look of just dominating Alabama. Like, they're going to lose 
a game or two this season without it, a doubt. If that's Tennessee, I don't know. We'll, we'll it see. makes me wish we played Alabama this week. Yeah, <laughs> so yes. it makes me wish you would want to play them early. Yeah, because it just it's just Saban gets that stuff fixed, man. He's, I mean, he's the best coach of all time. Like he, that's what he does. Like he, and he'll do something bold. I mean, he's not going to fire Bill O'Brien in the middle of the season, but he might make a change in the way play calling duties are handled. Well, I, and I listened to some. Yes, he will. And I, I listened to some analysis of that too. They have two two wide receivers. I mean, the wide receivers were not good. Couldn't get open in that game. Mm-mm. Offensive line was getting annihilated. Uh, Young did not play well. I mean, it was ugly all the way around. They just found a way right there at the end. It's, again, it's just what Saban does. Finds a way when it matters. But um, they also had the benefit of some favorable calls. I know Alabama. <laughs> They were penalized a lot more than Texas, and there was Alabama fans that pointed that out to me. But I've always like that doesn't mean that one team is getting more calls than the other necessarily. Sometimes it might, and and sometimes that does happen. But Alabama just played undisciplined football. I mean, that really did bad. not look like a Nick Saban coached team at all. I mean, they were you know, very both sides of the ball. Yeah, the defense was real was undisciplined too, and. uh you know, however, it was what like sixteen penalties or something in that game. It was the most of any game in the Saban era, which is just crazy considering who he is as a person. And they but, still uh, got away with some stuff. They they got away with some stuff, and the quarterback from Texas that was roasting them goes out because they fall on him and smush his collarbone, and and then you know, I, yeah, that's the other thing. Texas going in there and playing without their starting quarterback kind of makes that even more impressive. They Colt McCoy him. Uh, they brought that up a ton in that broadcast, but, uh, you know, I, I hate saying stuff like this. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, but like if Quinn Ewers plays the rest of that game, they probably lose. Like that's a loss for Alabama, which would have been insane. And, and honestly, unthinkable that Sark what about your, went uh, over Saban before Tennessee does, but before we, uh, go, would you care to address your tweet about that game from, from before the game started? Uh, Here's the thing. <laughs> Nick Saban is the, the greatest college football coach of our generation. Will probably go down as the greatest college football coach of all time. I hate the guy. I wish he would go away. But, you know, if you don't respect him at this point, what are you watching? Like, he, the man will crush your soul. He is a robot who does nothing but coach football extremely well. That's what he does. And so I tweeted before that game. It's hilarious to me that all of these networks are having to act like Alabama's not going to just go in and annihilate Texas. Something to that effect is what I said. Of course, that did not happen, and people roasted me about that after the fact. But here's the thing. Every single one of you, outside of maybe Texas fans, everybody else out there was thinking the same thing I was thinking because that tweet got like 100 likes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah every, everybody else was thinking it too. Uh, yeah. they we just were didn't all say surprised. it. I'm sure some <laughs> Texas fans were surprised too. If, if some of them are being honest. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like that, that was shocking. If Alabama has some serious problems. I, like I said, I wish we were playing them this week because they, they're going to get, I, I never, I didn't finish this thought. They're going to get a set of a couple of pretty dynamic wide receivers back and make that wide receiver room better. I don't know about the offensive line that I, how do you make that better with how badly they got beaten in that game? I'm not sure. Uh, but, and then, you know, it, I think you really saw in that game how good Bryce Young really is. He's good enough to win that game. 
he is. He came up clutch right there at the end and made the plays, did the whole thing. He had a Heisman moment where he was about to get sacked, came out of it, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. We all watched it. And, but still, he was just dragging that entire second half and didn't, you know, maybe he's not, he might be a product of the system. Mm-hmm. I've argued I mean, this. Possibly. People don't like to, to say that type of stuff. Oh, well, he won the Heisman or whatever. They like to think that they made the right choice with the Heisman and everything. Ah, I don't know. I don't know if he's the best. He's he's really good. He's really good. Yeah. but And Will Anderson is still a problem, too. I mean, he had a oh, yeah. massive sack near the end of that game that, that really helped Alabama get that win. That's a guy that's... He's going to be a problem whenever Tennessee plays him. I mean, who, whoever's responsible for blocking that guy's got their work cut out for him. He's a, I mean, he's a top five NFL draft pick that's going to be a, yeah. a Pro Bowl caliber player. So that's going to be a, a challenge for Tennessee. Oh, and you know who's not uh, the Heisman winner that I was led to uh, to believe? That'd be Spencer Rattler. Didn't look so <laughs> hot. <laughs> he didn't play bad, actually, to his credit. I think he did have two interceptions in that game. Um, and for Am I thinking right? But they they just got whipped by Arkansas. I watched a pretty good chunk of that game. It my really theory is close. my theory is that he's like his name. His name is so unique that it's a cool it, name. It's, it's a marketable name, and I really believe that's where a lot of the hype comes from. He's at Oklahoma, hit the portal. You know, I, I just I think that the hype has more to do with his name than anything. I know that might sound silly, but we've seen that kind of before where we don't understand why this guy's getting so much hype and then it kind of fades after after a while i think that kind of is the situation there and and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention texas a&m and jimbo fisher dropping that game to appalachian state i mean what i know appalachian state has been good over the years they've had some big wins obviously the michigan win and they've had other really close games where they've almost knocked off a power five opponent like really good power five teams but I don't even into the second half. I did not think that Texas A&M was really going to lose that game. I mean, I thought they'd find a way. They're so talented. I mean, Jimbo. I think he's a little bit overrated as a head coach, but you can't say that he's a terrible head coach. I mean, he's done some good things in his career. He's got a, a national championship. He's won some big games. He's managed to anger Nick Saban. So you know, he's he's not the superstar that they make him out to be, but he's not a bad coach either. So that was shocking to me that they lost that game. My understanding is that that is Jimbo's offense and he is largely the play caller. And he has to have an elite quarterback. I mean, we've always kind of said that. I mean, it's awful that, I mean, it was just, they, I think I saw some stat that said they crossed the 50 yard line, like once in that entire game. Cause they, even the touchdown they scored, I think was long. They were, they scored from behind the 50-yard line. Yeah. I, I think that was the stat I saw. They crossed the 50-yard line once in that entire game. Like, mm. horrendous. Against a defense that got friggin' 70 put up on it by UNC last weekend. Yeah. Oof. Oof. That's a, yeah, if you're a Texas A&M fan, you got to be feeling some kind of way this week because that's not what you expected at all. $75 million. I mean, what is, what is like 75. Mike Leach? What is Mike Leach going to do to Texas a and I mean, he's going to drive them mad. Oh man. That's hey, good luck. Good luck. I, I did. It's, I don't know. I don't know what I would do if Tennessee could actually land a monster coach like that. And then if that monster coach ended up sucking, like Harbaugh is one thing. 
where literally he's winning everything but the Ohio State game. And then last year, he finally won the Ohio State game. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one thing. But paying a dude $75 million to literally suck? Oh, I don't know what I would do. Like, I, I know if I'm just being, you know, if people follow my work <laughs> regularly, you might see some tweets that I made over the weekend, perhaps about the Titans. Um, I'm not afraid to call for people's jobs. I would be screaming about firing Jimbo Fisher right now that you, you don't you don't have the number one recruiting class in America and lose at Avalanche state. No, that's not going to happen. Every coach that's lost to Appalachian state or almost lost Appalachian state has ended up fired or, or, Oh yeah. You know, Lloyd Carr. I was at Lloyd Carr. That was at Michigan. Whenever app state beat them, he wasn't, or, uh, rich. Was that prior Uh, rich rod? I don't know. I believe that was prior to Rodriguez. I think he okay. had already. I think he stayed at West Virginia that year instead of going to Alabama, or maybe he was. I can't remember exactly. But even if it was, he still got fired. So you know, everybody that that's a sign. It's like when Butch Jones and in, in Tennessee had to go to overtime and needed a miracle, a call that I still don't understand, fumbling into the end zone and advancing it to, to beat Appalachian State. Like that was a sign that Butch Jones was toast and we just didn't know it yet so yeah if you're an Aggies fan you've you've got to be on alert right now here good good point from G White right here can we expect defects to Tennessee from Texas A&M mm-hmm. and go south with Jimbo hello Walter Nolan come on home come on you already lived here to your point before. yeah yeah I think we could see some of that for sure a- absolutely um but it's a Tennessee long needs some Tennessee needs some portal help on the defensive side of the ball I mean they really I think Heupel needs to utilize the portal a bit more than he has. And, and, you know, I don't know the situation necessarily if they've went after guys and not been able to get them necessarily, or maybe he just has not really wanted to go that route. You know, Lane Kiffin has talked about you get so many guys from the portal and you got guys coming in from different cultures and it's really kind of hard to blend all that into the locker room. Maybe Heupel's afraid of that because, you know, they got a great, great thing going with the culture at Tennessee right now. Chemistry. Everybody's on the same page. Maybe he doesn't want to mess that up. Maybe it's not worth uh, the reward that he feels like he would get. But, you know, maybe they got a few guys, so I wouldn't be surprised if a few more come, uh, specifically from A&M. Plenty of chances for them to lose here in the future. I think their their next big one, they play Arkansas the weekend. Ooh, Arkansas, uh, you know, they just put it on South Carolina. Yeah. I like Sam Pittman a lot. I think he's a good coach. I don't necessarily think he's going to be like an elite Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney type guy that wins multiple championships or even one championship. And I think he's perfect for Arkansas. And I think they're going to be like a consistent seven to 10 win team as long as he's there. And they're going to be a tough game like every week, whoever plays them. Yeah. He's, he's a great example of just letting his dudes coach and he's Mm -hmm. just letting Kendall Bryles, do his thing over there. And KJ Jefferson's been really solid. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I think that's it. Zach, anything else for the good folks at home? Thanks to everybody for watching and for coming. It's been an awesome time. We're at an hour 15 and way, way longer than yeah. I thought it was going to go. So well, real quick, real quick before we go, your score prediction for Akron. Neither Ooh. one of us hit last week. Yep. Um, I had 48, 41. You had 48, 38 ended up being, uh, well, we had the, uh, the the margin of victory close, mm-hmm. but missed on the the total amount of points there and wasn't as high scoring as we thought. So, what, what do you have for Akron? 
the spread is 50. <laughs> so uh, I think it, it said it was like the highest spread for Tennessee since 2013 or something. It's crazy. Um, man, I don't, I don't know. 54. Fit, I'll do 55 to three. And you're very, very, very close to mine. I have 50, I had 52 to three written down. So there we go. Ne- neither one of us have to, has any confidence that Akron will score a touchdown. Yeah. Well, we'll see who hits it. Uh, but we both TJ's, TJ's got 56 to three. So we're all on that field goal thing there with uh, Akron. G White says 59 to 10. Uh, there you go. Yeah, you win our- by 50 points. You, yeah. That's all you, that's all you can ask for. Exactly. But thanks so much uh, for everybody for watching, commenting, uh, tuning in every Monday, 4 p.m. We will be here. Um, Titans, just go ahead and fire Mike Vrabel, please. I'll throw that as a request (laughs) in here at the end. At the very least, Todd Downing. Good Lord. What are we doing? Uh, That's the most rant that I can bear to give at this point. and otherwise, a to z sports.com, Charlie Burr, Zach Rig, and at Charlie underscore Burr, at Zach T and T. A to z sports podcast network feed on YouTube or on uh, Apple Spotify. I think that's it. And uh, oh, let me give make sure I got my music here and I got to get the um, in screen too. Yeah, let's check out Superbook Sports. If Superbook Sports bets this weekend. There they are right there. Throw in your bets. Uh, that go off of our if you feel so inclined. Maybe you think Tennessee will win by 50 plus. I do. So there you go. Um, Thanks again for watching, and we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.